Let's open with a word of prayer, and we're going to uh, take a look at something I hope is going to be challenging and encouraging to your life. Father in heaven, we just praise you for the work that you're doing in our lives as individuals and for the work you're doing in this church and for the work you're doing through this church in this community. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would recommit us to loving others as you have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have Bibles to pass out. If anybody needs a Bible... Uh, raise your hand. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. And also, if you don't have a pen, boy, do we have pens that we can let people have? Or Anybody need a pen? A couple of you? Okay. Um, the reason is we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. And I want to encourage you to write these down. We're going to talk about walking in love. And... I just want to let you know kind of what happens when I introduce something like this. You go, love. Okay, I've heard two trillion sermons on love. Okay, tune out, and I hope this goes quick, and then we can go home. I'm hoping that this is going to be a challenge to you. Because I believe that love is the most powerful weapon that God has to transform this world. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And it's God's love towards us that actually changed our eternal destiny. And now he's called us to love others and to be a participant in helping to change the eternal destiny of other people. I want to read to you a couple of things. One, Justin Martyr, who lived about 150 A.D., He described the Christians of his day, and here's what he said. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people, and we pray for our enemies. So all the way back then, Justin Martyr was describing his church, and he was saying, love has changed us. Not five degrees, but 180 degrees. It's so interesting that there was a man who was doing a mission for the Emperor Hadrian, again, about that same time. And Hadrian had sent him on a mission to spy on these strange people that Rome didn't understand called Christians. And so he went and he sort of intermingled with these people, kind of uh, undercover to try to check out what is this crazy thing that seems to be spreading like wildfire. And when he came back to Hadrian, this is where this famous quote came from. He said to him, he said, behold, how they love each other. That was the thing that stood out to this guy more than anything else in the church is that they loved each other. And this was a a pagan who was saying this. In the third century, we read in the history books that there was a devastating plague that spread through a whole region. 
And Christians were the only one who cared cared for the sick. They would actually go into homes where the plague was, risking their own infection in order to care for the sick. What the pagans would do is even if their children got sick, they would throw them out in the streets so that they wouldn't get infected. In my last trip to Nepal, I met a young man. And this guy is a leader in the Christian church now. And I asked him for his testimony. And he's, he's about 26, 27 now. And he, he shared this. He shared, you know what? I grew up as a Hindu. Yeah, raise your hand if you need a pen. One over here on the left side. Good. Uh, he grew up as a Hindu. And when he got to be about 16 or 17, he realized how empty and, quite frankly, how absurd the Hindu faith was. He left the Hindu religion and he became a communist and he rose through the ranks and actually became a leader in the communist party in Nepal, in Nepal, helping to plan the overthrow of their government. As he rose up through the ranks of communism, once again, he saw, you know what? These people are just like anybody else. They talk about the glories of communism, but the reality is they're in it for themselves. So he left the communist party. And he was kind of driftless, and he finally, uh, a friend invited him to a church, and he, he went to this church, and he saw something that stunned him. Like India, like India, Nepal has a caste system where there are different levels of people, and if you know anything about that, people do not associate or talk to or touch people of different castes, different levels. And when he went into this church, he saw people from virtually every caste in Nepal. And they were sitting together. They were loving each other. They were worshiping each other. And this man became a Christian that day because he saw the love of Jesus Christ being expressed through people. You guys, what I want you to understand is when love is evident, God is going to be glorified Communities are going to be transformed and churches are going to explode. I want to share with you tonight the priority of love and and we're going to look at, uh, first of all, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I just have the key thing, but here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that. Paul is challenging us like, like a little son looks up to his dad and and whatever his daddy does that's what he wants to do if his daddy is washing the car the little son wants to get the the hose and and try to wash the car with his dad why he loves his dad and he wants to imitate or mimic his dad and so paul says hey be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love just as christ also loved you and gave himself up for up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. There are two things we need to understand in order to understand this command to walk in love. Number one, what is love? If you're taking notes, write this down. Love is not an emotion. Everything that America thinks about love is about 180 degrees wrong. It couldn't be more wrong if it tried. 
Think about what we talk about when we talk about love. Oh, I have fallen in love. In other words, there's nothing I could do about it. There she was. I looked at her. Oh, wow. I'm in love. And so America views love as this feeling over which we have no control. When I'm talking to couples getting divorced, they'll say something like, you know what? I just don't love her anymore. And the idea of that is, hey, I have no control over that. I, I can't love or not love. I'm just in love or not in love. And that's, that's what people begin to talk about. But scripturally, love is not an emotion. It is a choice. Love is a choice to actively meet the needs of other people that God brings into your life. Let me repeat that. Love is a choice to actively Meet the needs of the people that God brings into your life. Think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave us all hugs. Well, thanks, God. We're still going to hell, but thanks, God, we appreciate the hug on the way to hell. No, for God, his love was not this emotional, oh, I love you guys so much. For God... Love was this choice to meet the fundamental need of our lives that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we could be made alive and become children of God. Does that make sense? So it was not an emotion that God had for us. It was a choice that God made. So when we talk about walking in love, we are talking about making the choice to meet the people that God brings into our lives. What does it mean to walk in love? Okay, think of yourself going through your day. You wake up, you may go to Starbucks, you may go to uh, another coffee shop, you may go to work, uh, you may meet with some other people. Uh, You're going through your day. As you're walking through your day, Paul says, I want the central core of your being to be driven by love. Love is not something you choose to do here, but not here. That's not biblical love. Love is something you are, and it spills out of you, and whoever happens to get in front of you gets loved. Does that, you understand? So when Paul says walk in love, he is challenging us to do something really radical. He's challenging us to make love the central motivation of our lives. And we express that love to everyone. Now, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 13. We always read this stuff at weddings, don't we? We read this stuff and everybody goes, Ah, isn't that sweet? I want you to understand, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 is a searing rebuke. It, it is a slap in the face. And I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation up here because I want you to see this as clearly as you can. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, 
And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't have love or but didn't love others, I would be nothing. I want you to hear what Paul is saying. He is in the middle of a discussion on spiritual gifts, 12 through 14. It's funny. What, what churches are all about is, oh, can we speak in tongues or not? You know, can we prophesy or not? You know, can we dance in the spirit and get slain in the spirit? No. Hey, how, how much of this stuff can we do? Paul says, hey, you guys, you're missing the point. In verse 1, he says, if you had the greatest gift of tongues the world has ever known. In other words, if you could speak all of the languages of people without ever learning them. If you could speak even the language of angels without ever learning it. I mean, that is some gift of tongues. But if you didn't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. No matter what gift you have, if love isn't driving it, you're a gift of noise. He says, if you have the gift of faith, okay, now you can do miracles. If you have the gift of prophecy, man, you can speak into other people's lives. If you have the gift of knowledge, you can know things that other people don't know. But you don't have love. Paul says, you're nothing. Wow. Not just you're a, you're, you're a little short, you're not doing so hot. No, Paul says, you're nothing. Then he goes on and he says in verse 3, if I gave everything I have to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So without Paul... Without love, Paul says, you're worth nothing, you are nothing, and you gain nothing. Whew. Not quite the little poetry we think of it like. Do you, do you understand what Paul is saying? He's saying in everything you do, in your relationships at work, your relationships at home, your relationships here at the church, love has to be the driving force of your life. Let's go on. How do we walk in love in the church? Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. In other words, if you've been called into God's family, and by the way, part of what God has called you is he's called you holy and he's called you beloved. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, Paul is saying build these qualities into your heart. Here's your action. Here's how you can know if you're doing this. Bearing with each other. Bearing with each other basically means putting up with each other. Do people ever drive you crazy? Yeah. I mean, I'm the only normal person in this room. Do you understand that? You guys are all nuts. I'm normal, and you guys all have these crazy eccentricities. And if you would just be like me, we could all get along. The problem is, every one of you thinks exactly the same thing. You're the only normal person in the room, and if we could be like you, we could all get along. No, bearing with one another means... We put up with the differences in each other. 
Some people like me are, everything's bigger than normal, right? You know, everything, wow. And some of you are very understated. That's a good word. Thank you, honey. Uh, And so when I describe something on a scale of one to 10, you might describe it to a level of three and I describe it to a level of eight. And so you start rolling your eyes and you go, give it a break, Steve. Come on, relax. And I'm going, hey, can I pump you up with air so that I can tell if you're alive or not? And, you know, we, we just have differences in the way we view things and the way we respond to things. And p- bearing with each other is just learning to accept those differences and not make them issues of judgment. Forgiving each other. Paul says, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond. It is the the glue of unity. Now, let me ask you some questions. Are there people in your life that you've just sort of passively cut off because you can't stand them. You've just decided, hey, I'm going to make sure that I keep space between you and me because either we've had a fight, I don't like you anymore, uh, we've had a dispute, or, or maybe I just can't stand you. Okay? And so... You may think you're okay because, hey, I'm not spitting on them. I'm not cussing at them. I'm not beating them up. I'm okay. But you're not okay if you're not actively loving them. You see, God does not give us the choice of who to love. When the Good Samaritan came walking down the road, what is it that made him love that man who had been beaten up? It was the fact that the man was in front of him. Does that make sense? Not, not, you're not getting it? Are you getting it? Okay, this, this is important. Because it wasn't that he had some kind of emotional connection to this guy. It was this guy had a need. The good Samaritan was there. He says, I'm going to love him. You guys, forgiveness is not an option. And I want you to put this down right now. If there is anybody in your life that you have not forgiven. Boy, write their name down right now and make a commitment before God. I am going to go to them and I'm going to seek reconciliation. This is important because I believe, honestly, this is why God is withholding his hand of blessing from the American church is that we are not fulfilling God's priority of loving each other. Let's go on. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. John says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So we see not only is love about reconciliation and making sure that there's peace between us, but love 
is about me giving my resources to meet your needs. It's about me sacrificing what God has given to me so that I can give to you. And it's not just giving to the church, you guys. I, I had something happen years ago at our church that just blew me away. Uh, someone came to me and they'd put $500 in an envelope. And they said, I heard that this person has a need. They're not making their rent this month. And I want you to give them to them, but I don't want you to tell them who it came from. I want them to see that this came from the Lord. I took that to the person and you just couldn't believe it. They just broke down in tears, tears of joy. Because they said, this is exactly what we need. They felt the love of God. They experienced the love of God. And you know what happened? They told their neighbors about what happened. And guess what? God gets glorified not only in their lives, but in the lives of the people that they're rejoicing with. John goes on to say, little children, let us not love with word or tongue. Boy, John is saying, enough with the I love yous. Enough with the I love yous. Not that it's bad to say it, but it becomes very hollow if it's just words. John says, let us love in deed and in truth. And so what John is trying to help us to see is that love is going to cost us. We had a, we used to, we didn't, we don't do this now, and we actually should start doing this again, but we used to have an account where we had money set aside, and we, we kind of viewed it as God's money, and whenever there was a need we became aware of, we were able to just pull out of that account and meet the need. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, is practically making sure that you have resources set aside, if God has given you this ability, so that you're ready to share. Now, one other thing before we leave this, Paul, or we're going to go to the words of Jesus now. Matthew five twenty three. I think you're familiar with this one. Jesus says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, in other words, if you're worshiping God, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, there's a dispute, there's a division, there's a disagreement, there's some kind of stuff that's going on between you. But Jesus says, leave your offering. Let me put this in modern language for you. Stop worshiping right now. Stop worshiping right now. And go to your brother and make things right. Then come back and worship God. Guys, we do a lot of lying to ourselves. You know, we'll raise our hands, we'll worship God, we'll feel great about everything, and we'll be all excited about our worship. And yet, we are walking in disharmony and disunity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how important this issue of unity is. I was reading uh, last night in Malachi chapter 2 where uh, God is talking about divorce. And he is putting this in 
it's interesting because the people are complaining, God, why aren't you accepting our offerings? Why aren't you blessing us when we give you our offerings? And God says, you know why? Because you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. See, when, when our horizontal relationships aren't right, God doesn't want our worship. Boy, that, that's a radical thing to say. It, when, when our horizontal relationships aren't motivated and directed and governed by love, God says, don't bother worshiping me because I know what's going on in your life. Let's go on. Let's talk about loving at home. And I'm going to focus on the guys. I always like to focus on the guys. I know it's not fair, but, but men, I want you to know that God has given you the leadership of the home. And what leadership means is not that you get control of the remote. Okay? Yeah, I know. Get back in the chair, get your beer, say, hey, bring me my dinner, wife. You know, that's, hey, this is, uh, hey, I like being leader of the home. No, being leader of the home means that you're the chief lover. You're the one who begins the process of love. And here's what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Yikes. Guys, I want you to think about how you're treating your wife. How you are actively expressing your love to your wife. And you might say, well, I love her. I kiss her. We, we have intimacy. You know, we have physical intimacy. Yeah, that's how she knows I love her. Oh. Okay, let's go back to word and tongue and get back to deed and truth. How is she seeing in your life that you love her? The number one way you do it. Peter actually tells us how to do this. He says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. That word in an understanding way literally means according to knowledge. In other words, Peter is saying, husbands, become a student of your wife. I've been married to Connie for 40 years, and I'm still learning things about her. And what is so exciting is as you learn stuff about your wife, you learn more how to meet her needs. Now, here's the second thing. And grant her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, here's two things. Number one, if you want to know how to learn more about your wife, you shut your mouth and you open your ears. You listen to her, okay? It's really easy. How do you grant your wife honor? This is such a cool thing to get excited about, of saying, you know what, Honey, I will if you will. No, that's not biblical love. It's I will because God has commanded me. I will because God's priority is for me to love you as Christ loves the church. I want you to see how important this is. He says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, God is going to withhold his blessing from your life if you don't do this. This is how important love is. 
So I just, I want you to understand something. God is passionate about love being the driving force, whether we're at church, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, wherever we are. And guys, if you want to know how to love your children, again, listen to them. This is for both of you as parents, men and women. You know, James again says, I, every time I speak to you, it seems like this verse comes up, but James 1.19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Very simply put, when you get angry, nothing good's going to happen. I can't love like this apart from the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you can, but I don't have it in me. And so what God is saying to us is that is that this issue of living in love in our families is something that's so important. In Malachi, the very last verse of the, of the Old Testament, talking about the coming of Elijah, and he's going to bring revival. And how are we going to see revival? Look at what he says. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's how we can know when God's glory is spreading over the land is the father's hearts are being restored to their children and in response, the hearts of the children are being restored to their fathers. This is the revival that we're looking to see. Where does it start? It starts with love in the family. It expands with love in the church and it explodes when the church chooses to go out and love the community that God has placed them in. Love is a force of transformation. Let's go on. I just want to talk a little bit about how, how do you love? And there's a neat scripture, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Write this one down. This is actually a great one to memorize. This is a prayer of Paul. And here's what he says. And this I pray, Philippians, here's what I'm praying for you. That your love may abound. Okay. In other words, I want your love to expand and explode and grow. But not just grow in any direction. You know what you call it when you get too much water? It's called a flood. Okay. Water is great. Too much water that has no channels is a flood. So Paul says... I want your love to abound more and more, but I want it to be channeled. I want there to be walls to your love. What are the walls? Real knowledge and all discernment. Real knowledge is the knowledge of God's word. So as your love is growing, I want God's word to be a guiding force in your love. And I want discernment, the wisdom from God's Holy Spirit to guide how you love people. Because catch this, love is not giving people what they want. Love is giving people what they need. Do you understand that? Let me repeat that. Love is not giving people what they want. It's giving people what they need. Now, I remember when I would go to Disneyland as a kid. And they would have, you know, cotton candy that was like this big on a little stick, you know, and you're walking around you know, trying to balance this thing. And I, I would always say to my mom, hey, I want this cotton candy. And she'd, see, she'd say, no. And I'd say, I really want it. She said, it'll make you sick. 
And you know what my response was? No, it won't. But as an eight-year-old, we're all kind of morons. We don't know these things. We don't know that eating 12 pounds of sugar mixed up with more sugar is going to make us sick. But my mom do that. And so she said no. By saying no, she was loving me. My dad used to routinely bust my rear end. Had a little belt and whack, it hurt. Some of you could say that's barbaric. You should never spank your kid, blah, blah, blah. He did it to me. And he did it to me because he loved me. And I got to tell you something. I'm not saying everybody should spank. That's not my message. All I'm saying is if my dad hadn't spanked me, I would be a pagan today. I know that. I needed that to get my attention. My dad always said, you know, I hate doing this. And I'd always look at him with anger and tears. And I'd say, no, you don't. You love this. You know? And you know what else he said that drove me crazy? He said, someday you'll thank me. Okay. You know what? It was the hardest thing I ever did. But I actually did thank him. Because he was absolutely right. I needed that correction and that discipline. And it was so funny. It's something that really shocked me. I was in junior high school and I was out playing with my friends and I said, oh, I got to go home. My dad said I had to be home by this time. And my friend said, it must be so cool to have a dad who loves you. They could stay out till all hours of the night. They could do whatever they wanted because their dad didn't care. Hebrews 12, why does the father discipline? He disciplines those whom he loves. And so parents, if you're raising your children, it's not giving them what they want. It's not giving them every opportunity to exhaust themselves playing nine sports at one time. It's helping them to learn what they need. So Paul goes on to say, I want your love to be abound in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You guys, have you, heard, have you heard that cliche that the greatest enemy of the excellent is the good? As Christians, I hope you're still not deciding between good and evil. I hope you're not deciding, well, shall I love my wife or shall I commit adultery? I hope that's not part of your decision stuff right now. I hope your decisions are what is the excellent that God has for me? And when your love is growing in knowledge and discernment, you're going to be able to choose and approve the things that are excellent so that you will be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ because you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when your love is growing and when it's channeled by real knowledge and discernment, you're going to wind up living your life to the glory and praise of God. That is so cool. So... I want to take you to another scripture. And let me give you some characteristics of wise love. You may be asking, well, how do we make these kind of decisions? Wise love has a long range rather than a short range perspective. So if your sons or daughters are ever dating someone, they want to have sex. And the other person says, no. 
What does the person always say? Well, don't you love me? Well, yeah. And then they say, well, prove it. Teach your children to run for the hills whenever that happens. Love can always wait to give. But lust can never wait to get. And the problem is our whole society has confused love and lust. So love has a wise love has a long range rather than a short range perspective. Wise love, get this, focuses on righteousness rather than pleasure. Love will never lead you to have premarital sex or it'll never lead you to have extramarital sex. Love will always lead you to have sexual relations within the confines of marriage. Why? Because wise love focuses on righteousness rather than pleasure. Third thing, wise love focuses on growth rather than comfort. Now, this is really important. Because love will lead you to confront a person about their sin. You go, oh, that's judgmental. No, that's love. Love will lead you to speak into a person's life that may wound them temporarily but lead to their healing ultimately. The proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend doesn't flatter or tell you what you want to hear. A true friend tells you what you need to hear. Okay, let's go on. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Paul writes, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't put on a face of love. Make sure, and we're going to talk about how you do this in just a minute. Make sure that the love is growing out of your heart. Look at what, right in the same thing. Abhor what is evil. Love despises evil. Love hates evil. And love clings to what is good. I love this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You guys, we are so good at condemning and criticizing each other. And we're even better at criticizing people when they're not in our presence. Oh, Pastor Rob, what's he doing now? He's crazy. Or, ah, the worship. What's going on with the worship? Oh, you know, we just love to criticize. And I want you to realize that that kind of gossip and slander is straight from the pit of hell. And it should have no part in your mouth. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You guys, love is going to move you to work hard for this church and for the kingdom of God. Love is going to have, when people, when there's a need, you're going to be the one jumping up and saying, hey, I'll meet that need. And there's a concept that's out in kind of Christian circles, has been for many, many years. It's called boundaries. It's kind of this idea that I've got to protect myself. I've got to create boundaries in my life so that people can't take advantage of me. I just want to ask you one question. Where would we be if Jesus Christ had said, I need to have boundaries? 
I can't let people take advantage of me. I, hey, I, I can't let people send me to the cross. I mean, that would be a violation of my personhood. Jesus loved and it sent him to the cross. And what I'm challenging you here is that the way that people are going to see your love is in your service. The way people are going to see your love is in your diligence for helping the kingdom of God. It goes on, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. These are ways that your love is going to be demonstrated in this church. God has great things he wants this church to do. And in order for that to happen, you personally have to become that person who is going to be giving love. Now, I want to go on. I just want to give you a couple of simple ideas as we close of where do we go from here. The first thing that I would love to encourage you to do is to take an inventory. In your life, are there people that you know God has called you to love and you have chosen not to love? Boy, I want to tell you something. It may be the toughest decision you ever make, but I want to guarantee you something. It will be the most blessed decision you ever make if you decide to submit to God and love that person that God has called you to love. If you need help on this, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I rarely go two weeks without praying this prayer. You know the prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. By the way, if you're ever plagued with anxiety, I'll bet you 90% of the time it's coming from relationships. And if you can come before God and you can say, God, I need you to help me understand my anxious thoughts. The third prayer request is see if there be any hurtful or wicked way in me. And the fourth request of this prayer is lead me in the everlasting way. Guys, this is an amazing prayer to quiet your heart before the Lord and ask him, Lord, I want to become a person who is walking in love and I need you to help me. The second principle is the only way you're going to be able to love other people is if you let the love of Christ control you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. One of my amazingly favorite scriptures. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. And by the way, that word control isn't the normal word for control. Control almost feels like it's this. But control is like a hand in the back pushing you forward. Uh, A better translation would be, for the love of Christ propels us or compels us or pushes us forward. In other words, the love of Christ is this gentle hand in the back that's saying, get out there, you can do it. Having concluded this, Paul says, that one died for all, therefore we all died. Okay, because Christ died for us, 
If you're a Christian, you have been killed with Christ. You died with him. That's what Romans 6 teaches us. Now, verse 15, this is so cool. And he died for all. I'm not going to say they, I'm going to say we, because that's who Paul is talking about here. So that we who live, that's you and I, if we're alive in Christ, might no longer live for ourselves. You want to know why Christ died for you? To give you a happy life? Forget it. God did not die to make you happy. Jesus did not go to the cross to make you happy. The reason I bring this up is I have been sick and tired throughout my counseling, the counseling that God has given me, where people are getting a divorce, and what they always say to me is, you know what? God wants me happy, and that's the reason I should get a divorce. They get kind of ticked at me. I said, no, God doesn't want you happy. He wants you obedient. Now, the interesting thing is living an obedient life will actually lead you to joy and even happiness. But when you pursue happiness, you're never going to find it. He died for all so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves. So here's, here's the change. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I am not living for me. I'm living for Jesus who died for me. And how do I express living for Jesus? I express it by actively, authentically, biblically, and wisely loving those that God brings into my life. Do you have a jerk for a boss? Love him. Do you have the worst teacher in the school? Love her or love him. Do you have a wife that's driving you crazy? Lover, uh, don't raise your hand. By the way, uh, the... do you have a husband who's cold and and not really a part of your life? Love him. Become really creative of learning how can I express love to this person that in my own heart I don't want to love. That's when you know that Jesus is getting a hold of you. The third thing. This goes back to what we started. Choose to love. Say, what if I don't feel love for my wife? Or what if I'm so angry at my kids, I don't feel love towards them? Boy, praise God, love is not a feeling. Praise God that love is a choice. So you look at that kid who is rebelling, who is driving you crazy, and anger is controlling your relationship right now, and you say, stop. God, how can I choose to love my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife or my boss or the person working for me or my neighbor? And I want to encourage you to actually take time and write down how you can specifically and intentionally do acts of love towards that person. You guys, this will change everything in your life. What you'll discover is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. It is the most powerful tool that God has given us 
It may have some bumpy waters ahead. But if you keep loving, you are going to find that love transforms everything around you. So my prayer for you is simple. My prayer for you is that your goal this Sunday is to stir love in this church. That you're going to come and say, how can I love the people who attend this church? How can I minister to the people? That's what Hebrews 10 calls us to do. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So you come and you be a stimulator. You be a person who is stirring people around you. Hey, you know, and how do we do that? We do that by encouragement. We do that by meeting their needs. We do that by getting to know them. We do that by going out of our way to demonstrate active, intentional, deed-like love to them. It's so powerful. I've seen it in action. When I go to other countries, I just, it's amazing the love that people have for each other. It's just, it's overwhelming. And what's happening in China, everybody wants to get in. That's why the president of China is going crazy. He can't stop the expansion of the church because people love each other. They love God and they love each other. And I want to see that explode in this valley. So, Father, I pray that as we, as we engage these scriptures... Lord, the tendency is to let it go right over our heads and to go home and turn on the TV and forget about everything we've heard. Lord, I just pray that you'd excite us about learning to love each other because you have loved us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.